Hey, Rose, do you ever call up Royally Obsessed on Alexa? It's one of the easiest ways to listen to the pod. You can hear our latest episode every week there, thanks to Amazon Music, which has a full catalog of podcasts, including Royally Obsessed. All you have to do is say, Alexa, play Royally Obsessed on Amazon Music. Oh, no, mine is listening to me say that right at this moment. <laughs> a royal reminder, new episodes drop every Thursday. Tune in on Amazon Music. Now on to the show. Please rise for their majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Stand by! Three cheers for Her Majesty the Queen! Do you see my how I dress to impress by the way? I love it. My Royally Obsessed sweatshirt. It is I wore so... Breton stripes in your honor. Ugh. But I also just feel like this sweatshirt, not to like just compliment the merch, but it's the perfect weight of a sweatshirt for summer. It is. It's a beach sweatshirt for sure. All right, you know what time it is, ladies and gentlemen, royally obsessed. The new episode begins right now. I'm Roberta. I'm Rachel. And first things first, you can follow us at Royally Obsessed Podcast on Instagram. Also write us info at gallerypodcasts with an S dot com. We love hearing from our listeners. We have a wonderful listener email today. Rachel, what else are we talking about? As usual, there's a lot. Prince William is officially 40 years old, Roberta. It's like sands through the hourglass. I don't know that (laughs) days of our lives thing. Can't get over it. The Queen missed Royal Ascot the first time ever. We're talking about that. Camilla did a very rare interview with British Vogue. We have updates on the bullying inquiry against Meghan. A Mike Tyndall discussion that we want to talk about. We've got polka dots, polo shorts, and so much more, Roberta. Lots of fun summer fashion. But first, our royal refreshment. And now it's time for the weekly royal cocktail. Cue us in. So we are sipping today this can, which I have to say for a second that like just... I'm not being paid by these people. Canned cocktails are the way to go for summer because I had a picnic last night for the summer solstice. Mm. Easiest thing. Just whip it out of the cooler, ready to go. You can sip it straight from the can. These are from you and yours, and it's gin and tonic is the one I'm doing. Obviously, gin because the queen loves her gin. Um, And I feel like it's delicious and easy because you don't have to mix anything. There's also vodka soda, and they have flavors like blood orange and clementine and cucumber and mint. I don't know if you've tried these. I'm going to pop my yes, they're delicious. Same here. Ooh, sounds like summer. (laughs) Sounds like a commercial. (laughs) No, they're so good, and I am so on board with the cocktails in a can. Cheers to the official start of summer. And I want to hear your summer plans because you have some big ones coming up. Oh, your mug is I have my I'm drinking water, full disclosure, because it's so early in the morning and I drank a few too many royal refreshments ahead of the podcast last night. So (laughs) I am having water, but out of my Sophie and Lily mug that is for Harry and Meghan's wedding. Anyways, but yeah, I gotta say my biggest most exciting summer plan at this moment is the fact that I just booked an appointment for my son to get the vaccine on Saturday. That is exciting. Cheers to Finn getting the vaccine. Cheers. I mean, how long parents of the zero to fives, if you are listening, it has been the longest road. And I feel like it hasn't even hit me the reality that he has this option to get vaccinated now. But that's not really your your big summer plan is that you guys are going to California. Oh, yeah. And I've talked about that. I We are leaving for a month for California. Oh, did you mention which is, that last time? <laughs> like, No, I think I've told people because I'm trying to still get my stuff together to go to Southern California. But 
Oh no, my phone. That's okay. You can get texts. Um, <laughs> anyways, I'm trying to get my shit together to go to Southern California. Still working out those details. Very optimistic about them. But what about you, Roberta? You have like France on the horizon. I have France on the horizon. I do. Now this is coming back to me that we did mention this last time, but I, I'm going to France with my mom and her four sisters, which will be a lot of fun. And going to the beach for 4th of July, which I'm really excited about. And I think that's about it. Oh, oh uh, my niece Izzy's third birthday is coming up. So that is going to be mermaid and purple themed. And I am, oh, wow. I'm excited. Being an aunt is so fun because you can <laughs> so help fun. as much or as little. And as much of, or as little as you want to. That's the best like balance. the best. So oh. that'll be great. How are you spending Summer. your 4th of July? I'll be in California. You'll be in California. Kicking it off with a bang. Fireworks. Hopefully fireworks, yeah. Yes. That's my – I actually – not to derail us even further, but 4th of July is my favorite holiday because it's just I remember that. Fireworks, people getting together. It's so fun. Hot dogs. All right. Listener email. (laughs) I want to share this really, really insightful, a little bit lengthy, but listener note from Ahuva in Michigan. We've condensed it a little bit, but basically she shares her thoughts on the Jubilee, which is – Almost a few weeks ago. I can't get over that. She says that she wanted to enjoy it more, but felt disappointed by the fact that Harry and Meghan were only at one and a half events. She's counting Trooping the Color as a half event. And this void felt glaring to her. She says, I could not rejoice at that final balcony scene meant to cement in our minds the promise of a bright future, but in reality only felt like the family, by diminishing Harry and Meghan and their children, had left themselves utterly diminished. Harry and Meghan should have been up there because they still should be working royals because the royal family should have treated them better. I couldn't help but compare that final visual to what it ought to have been. Harry and Meghan and their children bringing up the left-hand flank, walking the royal family into a new era. Charles will need them and won't have them. William will need them and won't have them either. Everybody lost. She goes on in her note, again, I'm paraphrasing, that she couldn't help but see the comparisons between Charles and Diana. She said Diana was obviously, as we've talked about, a superstar. Charles didn't realize it. And when he did realize it, he was insecure and resentful. Ahuva says, Diana was chased out of the family by the institution who abandoned her to the maw of the media. She now sees history repeating itself with William's behavior toward Harry in particular. She says, it appears he's replicating Charles via passive sabotage, like the relentless leaks from Kensington Palace and failing to recognize two truths. One, that Harry inherited Diana's charisma, and two, that he married a woman with 10 times more of it than even Harry himself. She says, William and Kate look shinier beside Harry and Meghan's glow, and Charles and William could have harnessed that light, but they chose to stamp it out. Her final take, she wishes William could understand something critical. His children are watching him. We don't get away with things in this world. All actions have an equal and opposite reaction. This same dynamic will play out in the lives of George, Charlotte, and Louis. What if Charlotte or Louis outshine George? Will George's office leak defamatory stories about Charlotte to the press? Will he and his handlers make sure Louis' children don't get police protection or titles? I think that William and Kate's behavior will dictate the answers to these questions. Wow. So many good observations. I feel like Ahuva gave a voice to what we, some of us were feeling during the Jubilee and watching it and seeing how Harry and Meghan were not as front and center as we wish they would be and to see them return to the UK, but then not hardly see them at all. But to play devil's advocate here, I do feel like Meghan and Harry had more of a choice in the matter and wanted to leave versus the behind the scenes Charles and Diana drama of a marriage falling apart. What do you think, Rachel? Yeah, I th- I think that one 
aspect of the puzzle. I agree that I felt disappointed by that final balcony shot. It felt, you know, this is the slimmed down monarchy. That was the plan. Charles and William very much want to demonstrate that. But I think we can't discount also the potential agency that Harry and Meghan had on choosing what they would participate in. We know that they had a lot of other things going on, like Lilibet's birthday. But I think just not knowing how those arrangements played out is top of mind for me. An agency that came maybe from seeing what his mother went through. You know, it is Mm -hmm. all tied together in a way. And I think she points out that that is probably, you know, that relationship, um, seeing his parents divorce and um, what his mother went through definitely has probably played into their decision as well. Yeah, I think about that too. Like what I like Ahuva's point, like we are a product of our upbringing. So I think just knowing what William witnessed with his parents fighting and mudslinging in the early 90s. Like, I I do wonder what effect that has. Right. But I don't, I want to be clear that this is not, in my opinion, not all on William. But speaking of William... This nice transition week in royal history. And now, this week in royal history. The future king turns 40. Born William Arthur Philip Louis Windsor on June 21st, 1982, when he became second in line to the throne and the first future monarch ever born in a hospital at St. Mary's. Here's a quick clip. This is from the day of his birth from CBS. It's an American accent. But the interviews, the sound bites are from Diana's parents, Francis Shan Kidd and Earl Spencer. They both get their own little sound bites. Here's that. Less than 24 hours after his birth, the little prince made his first public appearance. His mother looked radiant. All that could be seen of him was the top of his head, but that was enough for the crowd. The Prince of Wales said it was the fashionable thing to do to spend only a short time in the hospital, so they went directly home. Home is Kensington Palace. The queen, who was said to be delighted with her third grandchild, was one of a number of family visitors to the hospital this morning. Lovely baby. And how's the prince? Very happy. It's a lot of happiness up there. I've seen lots of babies. I've had four or five myself. That's the most beautiful baby I've ever seen. I like Daryl Spencer. I've had four or five myself. <laughs> four or <laughs> Which five. Which one yeah. is it? Oh. The one thing that does stand out, and we got a note about this, I think it was a year or two ago, about Diana just casually getting in the back seat, holding William in the car, no car know, seat, no just car holding seats. the baby, yeah. not even a seatbelt. So very... Uh, Times have changed. Yeah, a very different time. <laughs> also a reminder, Diana was... 20 years old. This always strikes me. I know this fact, but it always just takes me off guard because she wasn't even 21 yet. She would turn 21 about a week later. Oh, that's Isn't so wild. I don't even know. It's like a child raising a child. <laughs> it really is. I'm still hopeful we will get new photos of William for his 40th birthday, although it's not looking like that's the case. We just got a Father's Day photo, which I mean, the smiles on those kids. Charlotte is Kate. Like, I think that that's like, you know, it's like if you were to do a side by side of some of the photos, even from Royal Ascot, where Kate's joy and she's just kind of like, ah, open like, mouth, open yeah. mouth. You put that next to Charlotte's picture from Father's Day and it's carbon copy double. Yep. We got the big announcement, too, that there's going to be a big birthday bash, which I am hoping that we'll get, you know, some 
glitzy, like beautiful outfit pictures from. And it's going to be there at Windsor. Arrivals too. Yes. So it'll be held at Windsor, Sandringham later this summer. There's also this change of birthday protocol, which I know we heard about last August, but now is officially kind of playing out, which is that only the Queen and Prince Charles will have the Westminster bells ringing as well as the Union Jack flag flying on government buildings to mark their birthdays. It used to be all senior working royals, but they changed it because of Andrew, which like, yeah, Andrew. Andrew. We also got the news that William did this big issue cover story. He wrote the story inside the big issue, his new I guess, big issue that he's tackling is homelessness and solving homelessness, which he got a lot of criticism for. You know, they're looking for their fourth furnished home right now. They're thinking of Windsor moving into Adelaide Cottage, perhaps. So rightfully so. I mean, he addresses it even in one of his articles in The Big Issue. He says, while I may seem like one of the most unlikely advocates for this cause, aka solving homelessness, I've always believed in using my platform to help tell those stories and bring attention and action to those who are struggling. I plan to do that now that I'm turning 40, even more than I have in the past. Mm -hmm. And the criticism is like, you know, any celebrity who has a platform but also takes a private jet. It, it's always going to be there, I think, for these things. Um, yeah, absolutely. 40th birthday. We'll get into the articles a little bit later in the show. Yeah, but I do I do like the history and legacy of Prince William with homelessness because it was such a big cause with Diana, and mm-hmm. Diana was the one that really introduced him to it as a young boy. And so I, I did like that. I also just am in denial that William is 40. Like, I cannot get over that. It's just... It's amazing to me, but I, yeah. I, I'm excited about the bash. I know 40 and like still the same exact position in line to the throne that he was. And I kind of think he's coming into his own a little too. Yeah. You know, Well, I don't know those birthday articles. I have, a, I have some thoughts, so we'll get into it in a little bit. All right. Let's talk Royal Ascot. We'll just do a quick recap because that wound down on Saturday, June 18th. The queen missed it for the first time ever, Roberta. I felt really sad about that. But also, to be fair, it was 90 degrees. I mean, they had to change the dress code, actually. They, like, relaxed it so that people could have beverages. Men didn't have to wear ties. Definitely a huge, you know, pivot for the formality of that event. So I think that it made sense that she maybe sat it out. There was flag confusion. Did you hear about this on day three? That basically... The royal standard flag went up, and it's it was for Princess oh. Anne's arrival, but it is almost identical to the Queen's. And so people got really excited that the Queen, in fact, was there, but no, it was Princess Anne. So that was, a, you know, <laughs> a funny sort of moment for that. It's and not a bummer because Princess Anne is great, obviously, yes. but it is kind of a bummer when you're yeah. expecting the Queen <laughs> to then get Princess Anne, which, like... I think we both love Princess Anne. She's great, but it just is not the same. No, I was laughing because it made me think of our event, but they had a a cardboard cutout of the queen. Did you see those photos? (laughs) Oh, they did? (laughs) (laughs) So it made me think of our Jubilee event. But also the, the intel, you know, we do know from Angela Kelly in the book, The Other Side of the Coin from 2019, that the queen would only miss Royal Ascot in extreme circumstances based on how much she loves that event. She was only, you know, a few miles away at Windsor. I, I do feel, you know, I'm glad that she's taking it easy. I just, I, I think that it's, you know, we want to see her, of course. Mm-hmm. So there was that. Princess Beatrice had her horse got spooked. Did you also see this video, Roberta? Wait, let me see this video. I'm clicking on it. She was disembarking from her royal carriage when they were kind of making the rounds at 
the ascot uh-huh. and the horse freaked out and the it one got, pulling her carriage, the one pulling her carriage mm-hmm. and it looks really scary and I feel like the person riding it really calmed the situation but I think watching the footage you're like dang this is Whoa. this is scary yeah so that was a moment that horse that, is bucking it's bucking. going yeah it's Going buck wild. <laughs> buck oh wild. My but I, wa- I want to mention Beatrice also because I do feel like she continues to be a, a fashion superstar. Her stylist is nailing it. And all of her looks. I didn't know if you had a favorite because it's she's really been front hard to center for so much, which I think there's like all this chatter that maybe her and Eugenie will come back to be working royals because of how slimmed down the monarchies. Now mm-hmm. they probably need more hands on deck to take over some of these patronages that still you know, with Harry and Meghan's absence. But I will say her favorite dress of mine was the Saloni, the bows one, mm. the secret. I just love that. And I feel like we've seen it so many times in so many different colorways and stuff. And that, wait, which one was that? That was the, it's like the last, I think it was her last one. With the polka dots? Oh yeah, the polka dots. I didn't realize that. I forgot it had polka dots. The one with the bows on it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. Love it so much. I want that Yeah, dress. I just think she nailed it. And speaking of polka dots, Kate and William made an appearance and this was just the high point for me was Kate's effort to pull off a Diana replica with the Alessandra Rich brown polka dot ensemble. She even wore the South Sea pearl earrings that Diana wore through the 90s. Of course, we know that Diana wore polka dots to the Epsom Derby in 1986 and then sustainably updated the outfit for 1988 at the Royal Ascot. I thought that this was just an incredible way to make an entrance. Blown away. Roberta, and what did you think? a way to make a tribute, too. I agree. And a tribute. Yeah, but also it was feeling very so Kate well executed. with a lot, a lot of what she's worn as well. So Yeah, and Polka I love the conversation. Back. Yeah, I love the conversation about what Harry and William potentially think when Kate and Meghan replicate their mother's outfits. And there was a lot of talk about it when this happened. I think Elizabeth Holmes had a great conversation about it being like, they absolutely wouldn't do it without Harry and William's endorsement. Because it's also a really nice tribute to Diana because it puts her back in the headlines in a very positive way and calls attention to what was so terrific, her style. I totally agree. But part of me just thinks like, they, like Dave doesn't think twice about what I'm wearing. <laughs> you know That's what I mean? true like, too. <laughs> do you feel like sometimes you're like, oh, that would be so sweet if they like, talked about it beforehand and then Kate probably just shows up and she's like, this is what I'm wearing. And he's like, looks great. I don't know. Like, it's just like, okay, yeah, maybe, but maybe they just wear but what they so want to wear. Coordinated, Kate, so I know, well is thinking about right? it, but I yes. don't know if William is actually. Yeah. But I one like to la- believe that. One last note that I did want to say is knowing that it was 90 degrees, when I see those photos at Kate, of Kate in that outfit, and then I think about the temperature dial, Roberta, yeah. how... How does she look so flawless? Like, I feel like if I was wearing a dress that was long-sleeved in that heat, it would be clinging to me. I would have, like, stickiness. I would just not look so easy breezy. It's We need the Natasha Royals beat the Jackson on tricks. the pod to hear about the tricks because I feel like there's got to be some kind of, like, sweat pads that they add in, too. Yeah. Like, I feel like even just nervousness, you would get – you would start to get sweaty. I don't know. Maybe I they know, have the injections where you don't sweat in your armpits, you Maybe. Know? A lot of people do The that. Botox. I want to yeah. get that. So bad. If anyone has a hookup, write us info at gallerypodcast.com. <laughs> I think just it's really fascinating. Expensive. You know, it white is. Oh, also, it's so fascinating. The white doesn't likely show sweat stains. Maybe that's a hack. I'm just curious because all the royals were dressed with a lot of, you know, long sleeves and knowing the heat temperature. Should we do an episode about royal clothing hacks? Like, what do they oh, do I would, to like? I'm like, not I would love sweat. to listen to that. 
<laughs> it's mainly about not sweating. It's just like summer clothing hacks. I would love yeah. To learn. yeah. Yeah. Natasha, if you're listening, please. Quickly, the next thing up before we get to Camilla and British Total Vogue, subject change. <laughs> total subject change is this bullying inquiry and the reveal from the Sunday Times about the report. So, okay, reminder, this is the report that addressed claims that Meghan Markle bullied staff members. Those claims were made shortly before, or they were made public, I should say, shortly before the Oprah interview aired. The Claims were actually made in October and then were made public in March, and it was right before Oprah. So now the report is being buried, according to the Sunday Times. Buckingham Palace said the findings are not going to be made public to protect the privacy of those who took part and to limit tensions. Buckingham Palace will now change its HR policies and procedures as a result. And we were supposed to get an update about this when the Sovereign Grant is typically released, which is in late June, but that's not happening. The Sunday Times understands that Buckingham Palace no longer plans to make any public statement on the inquiry or even acknowledge the subsequent changes to its HR policies. The whole HR thing at Buckingham Palace, can I just say it feels like it's a one-man band and it's Toby Flanders from The Office running the show because <laughs> good it's reference. like, what in the hell is happening yeah. over there? HR is being, like, you could release a report and redact names. I'm not sure why they wouldn't do that. That's what they've been talking about this whole time. But is there even a report? I think that that's my question is, like, right. it feels like it was so strategically released, obviously. It underscored a narrative that I think really supports the there's just something about her type of thing. It makes people, and then it continued to be amplified by the news, right? It was like, no, there's an investigation launching. This is a big deal. We're pursuing it. And then it just fades away. I think that the update about this was even released middle of the night. Yeah. It's pretty. And not for Buckingham Palace. Like it was told to us from a different source that it just wouldn't be seeing the light of day. My big problem with it too, in addition to what you've just mentioned, is that they never asked Harry and Meghan for their participation, which you think with HR, every party involved is sought for comment, is consulted. You know, flashback to that BBC doc, The Princes in the Press, where Meghan's lawyer, Jenny Afia, said that she had to address the claims. She was asked about them. And she said, what bullying actually means is improperly using power repeatedly and deliberately to hurt someone physically or emotionally. The Duchess of Sussex absolutely denies ever doing that. Knowing her as I do, I can't believe she'd ever do that. I mean, of course, it's Megan's lawyer. So, of course, she has to say that. But I do think that's, you know, w- they would want to release it either way, you would think. Because if it's that they found that the claims are f- you know, founded and they have, you know, they're substantiated, then tell us that. Then that makes the people who worked for Kensington Palace feel justified in in complaining about it. Mm-hmm. And in the other hand, if you release it and it says Megan is acquitted, I want to, I'm like, that's not the right word, but like basically acquitted of all these charges, that looks good for them too, because she's a, me- mm-hmm. she was a member of the monarchy when this happened. She's a member of their family. Like at least show that she's innocent. I I wonder if Megan will ever respond to this because I think maybe to her it just feels like a witch hunt and it's she shouldn't even deign a response, but at the mm-hmm. same time like it is a witch hunt and should she say something? Should she speak out about what's like I don't know. It just feels 
it feels like there was this investigation into two claims which were actually rescinded, supposedly. Mm -hmm. These two claims were then taken back. They didn't want them. But, of course, we know Jason Knopf aired them in his inch providing his emails for that Associated News case. But there was no investigation into the claims that they questioned her unborn child's skin color. And why is that not being investigated? There's just so many question marks still, I think, and this opens a can of worms when they don't release it. Yeah, it's very suspicious. I don't like it at all. I think that it's... Don't you feel like there's like a lot in the Oprah interview, too, that should be investigated that I don't think... I hope they're amending their policies to reflect that because... There were a lot of things brought up that are unsettling and claims made by Megan, too, on the other hand, that they should be investigating. So, moving on. It needs an overhaul. I know that, like what Katie Nichol said in Vanity Fair, is the queen just wants the case closed. She wants a lid on it. She doesn't want to hear about any more of the drama with that. And so, that's one way to do it. But I think the public is yearning to hear what they found or Well, I feel like they launched a grenade a little bit strategically and then they're just letting it fade away without a resolution and I think that's not okay that's unacceptable it was almost like their own undoing a little bit yeah okay Camilla and British Vogue this was really great and it just goes to show how fantastic it is when you get first person interviews that are a little bit more in depth than the kind of handshaking on you know as they arrive kind of a thing you catch a quip or something like that just hearing from Camilla you know, in honor of her 75th birthday, which is on July 17th coming up. It was delightful. The photos are fantastic, Roberta. I feel like her hair for me lately is stunning. I love how soft it is. And I love how content she is as she approaches her 75th year. I wanted to read this quick bio penned by Giles Hattersley, who wrote the piece. I think he He does this great description of the significance of the Queen Consort endorsement. He says, as with so much of her life, the Duchess had been in uncharted waters, the first divorced person to marry the heir apparent to the British throne and not derail the ascension, a survivor of Britain's late 20th century tabloid swamp, a potential future queen with children, grandchildren, and a life of her own outside the firm. It really just shows all that Camilla has endured as she approaches this milestone. We got so much color, though, from this interview, right, Roberta? I love the um, the quotes from Camilla in the beginning of the piece. It's like, sorry, you've had to photograph an old bat this morning. She just is that salty, dry humor that I think Tina Brown really summed her up as. Um, she said she did have some press-on nails, but she lost them gardening. <laughs> I know. I tried to zoom in on the on the nails. I was like, it's totally true. Like, they just look – they don't look manicured. They look very just, you know, she's out doing her thing. Like she's, she used to have press-ons a day I, ago. Yeah. <laughs> I also like the description of the setting where it took place, which they did the photo shoot at Clarence House. They very prominently mentioned the fact that there are photos of Harry and – William in their 20s, Harry and Meghan on their wedding day. Those were on display. There were just also so many fun details, like the fact that Camilla loves Wordle, that she plays it with her grandchildren, and she loves how brilliant it makes you feel. (laughs) Or that, um, I think it was the Queen Mother bought a Monet that's in that room for 2,000 pounds, and now it's worth like millions. millions. It's almost like priceless. It's just so... In like the 1940s or something, she bought it. She also did address, speaking of the tabloid swamp that she endured during that time when Diana and Charles's marriage fell apart, you know, she commented on it for, I think, 
really the first time she said, it's not easy. I was scrutinized for such a long time that you just have to find a way to live with it. And I do, again, think that on some level, Camilla deserves that. I've said it before, the I, Tanya treatment, (laughs) because I think that, you know, we just don't get that perspective on what she had to go through with the comments on her appearance, just how misogynistic the editorial response to her role was. So I think it was interesting that she addressed that. Do you feel like you like Camilla more after reading this? I do. Me too. I do. The Wordle thing too. I don't know why. It's so relatable. I think that you could extract like a really sweet piece of marital advice or relationship advice about how, you know, often Charles and Camilla are ships that pass in the night, right? They are so busy. And some of the detail about her schedule at the age of 75 and how she's just on the go, but that they have a cup of tea ritual and they find a way to just connect. And I feel like my therapist gives me that advice where it's like, make sure he called my therapist at one point called it the half glass of wine. So it's not Mm. tea in my case, but the half glass of wine. So it's the idea that you're not going to, you don't necessarily always have time to sit down for a full hour with a full glass, but a half glass means you're just taking that time to catch up. And I feel like that was really cool to read that about Charles. I mean, read that about Camilla. Every day, a half glass of wine. It didn't have to be every day, but it was more just making a point to sit down and find a way to connect my argument. Cause I think it was, it came to me because we were talking about how I can't do a full glass of wine because then I'm just tired from all the running around from my day. So a half glass is just that opportunity where you know that it doesn't take that long to finish a half glass of wine. It's a relaxing ritual. And then you make the point that you're really only talking about each other and your relationship. So I think just reading that Camilla had something similar. And that I I love that she's really invested in the Duchess of Cornwall reading room, which I think we knew, but she mentions the fact that she gets letters from all over the world about it, and it, like, really makes her day. And so I'm like, that's the way in to getting her to write back. I bet you could write a letter to the Duchess of Cornwall reading room because she says they're from Chile, they're from all all over the world, and it's like such a passion of hers reading. Yeah. And even just the, you know, it talks more about her work with domestic violence and we do, and I'm not trying to compare her to Diana at all, but we do talk a lot about how, how Diana during her time picked a lot of more controversial causes than what the Royals typically line their carts with and attach yeah. their carts wagons to. What's that expression? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but hitch I'm their, so bad at What is it? Hitch their wagons Hitch to? their wagons to. But I like, you know, I mean, their carriages. I think that this is a cause where you really see Camilla's impact and her passion and connection to it. And she is really rolling up her sleeves. And I applaud her work with this. It's a, it's definitely not um, an easy cause to be lending your time to. And, and she's clearly emotional about it as well. So I like that. And the last thing and, I'll say too. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and just so busy. Like, I think one of the lines is like, CEOs half her age would balk at the amount of engagements and events mm-hmm. she goes to. And I think it's just such a testament to her, you know, her lo- outlook on life is keep your head down and work. And she's just done that for so long for the last 25 years. Yeah. And I think I just, in closing on this topic, I really liked that she described her dream day at the end, which was gardening going for a walk, reading a book. And I think to have that level of self kind of awareness and, contentedness with yourself and know the things that make you happy is something we all aspire to. Yeah. It's cool. It's authentic. I think for a lot of like 
you know, we love Diana. We love thinking about Princess Diana and her life and legacy. And I think that makes it hard to love Camilla. But at the same time, it's hard to not like her when you know how normal she is, when you know how hard she works, when you know what an asset she is to the royal family behind the scenes. I think it's just these pieces like the Vogue, British Vogue piece, just make her the more real. She feels like a grandma to all of us in a way. Yeah, and I think the complexities behind the demise of Charles and Diana is way bigger than Camilla. And Mm -hmm. I think that to pin it all on her is wrong. So I think we're all going through this re-education about Camilla together, and I think that that's important work to do. Yeah, it's fun, too. (laughs) And we'll see a lot more of her because there's an ITV doc coming out about how she's going to be editing, guest editing Country Life magazine, which I mentioned in the last episode. So we'll see. I mean, she's being followed by cameras to certain events. Even the British Vogue article mentions the ITV doc cameras in the, mm-hmm. at one of the events. And then also her and Charles are in Rwanda right now for the Chagum meeting. I guess yeah, the Commonwealth what, Head of Government meeting. Yeah, I'm just going to call it Chagum because I can't Chagum. remember the... <laughs> yeah, no, and we'll, okay. we'll probably be covering that more next week. Yeah. hit the highs and lows let's hit it it's time for the royal highs and lows just i know i said i would mention this and it's just these william birthday articles well they were great some of them were good daily mail telegraph by roya nika there also was just a lot of unnamed sources trashing harry and i think that i didn't read a lot of them yet roberta it's pretty it is pretty interesting to see that that's what these articles are being used for because you, we know that when there's a big birthday like this, like Kate's 40th, there were a lot of gushing articles about her and, you know, how wonderful she is. And that's what's supposed to really happen. Like, we've become accustomed to that. But I think it's interesting to use that airtime to talk shit about your brother because mm-hmm. obviously it's unnamed palace sources, but Omen Scobie's recent piece for Yahoo News really covers it well. And he makes the case, like, is this how you're going to end Never Complain, Never Explain by complaining about the feud between the brothers? Because it's obviously very bad, but a lot of the time in each article is spent dedicated to that. And I think we know, you know, William gives his sign-off for things like this for these sources Omid's quote, and of course, we don't know specifically if that quote got his sign off or not, but Omid writes, sharing intimate details about or speaking on behalf of a royal as senior as William usually only happens after express permission has been given. Usually. We're not saying always, but usually. He says, my experience with the Duke of Cambridge is that his tight circle of friends will only talk after a nod from the man himself. And mostly what they've said is that the rift is just, they hope that Harry can come around and apologize, but I feel like there's a lot of apologizing to do on the other side as well. So we'll see. I also just was mad that the bridesmaid dress thing got brought up again. It said... William's angry for his wife, who he believes was massively disrespected in the Oprah interview. And it's just like, why do we keep bringing this up? Like, at least yeah. tell your friends in palace sources not to bring up the bridesmaid thing again. Because I know keeps, it's like, who let cares? it lie? Let it seriously. <laughs> let it seriously. lie. Let it die. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think that it also, you're a low, brings us back to Ahuva's listener email and just history kind of repeating itself this passive the mudslinging. mudslinging yeah my low roberta <laughs> 
We were just, I, Roberta and I were texting a flurry of texts last Thursday because <laughs> it just so happened that my high last week was about, let's elevate the Tyndalls, right? Mike and Zara deserve to be have a more prominent role, loved them through the Jubilee. But that same day, I mean, we obviously recorded earlier in the week, the tabloid reports surfaced that Mike was uttering some choice words about Harry at a post-concert party at the Jubilee. And I just feel like I was totally taken aback and I, you know, was completely confused on how to feel about Mike Tyndall, to be totally honest, you know? And then you start playing the tape back from the thir- service of Thanksgiving, and you see that Zara kind of talked a lot to Harry and Meghan, but Mike appeared to not say any words. He kind of drifted off. So I feel upset about a lot of this. I'm shocked by the language. I still like that he was a Jubilee influencer, but I kind of don't know how to feel about him now, to be honest. So he went from my high to my low. <laughs> I think... You can recognize that Mike saying these kind of awful things about Harry is bad and also that he was like the funniest person to follow for the Jubilee updates and the hat switching and the Starburst. He's funny. And so it's like, yes, he's problematic, but a lot of the royals are problematic as well. And Mm -hmm. we're not going to always mention that, but it was funny that (laughs) the day that we were like, Mike, 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 it was also the day. And to be clear, we were like, Mike and Zara, Mike and Zara. It wasn't just about Mike, but I feel, you know, it's just, oh, there's an asterisk for me now. That's how I'm going to describe it. There always is. There's always context. My high this week is Kate in a white power suit at an event that just happened for the unveiling of the Windrush Generation statue at Waterloo with William. And they actually did address the Caribbean disaster again. <laughs> William, <laughs> we're never going to disaster. William said in his speech, this is something that resonated with Catherine and me after our visit to the Caribbean earlier this year. Our trip was an opportunity to reflect and we learned so much, not just about the different issues that matter most to the people of the region, but also how the past weighs heavily on the present. I mean, this is a good way to do away with never complain, never explain. You are kind of revealing, pulling back the curtain of what's going on behind the scenes. They learned a lot, supposedly, from this tour. And I don't think it'll happen again, hopefully. We won't see such bad choices made, the colonialism vacation that they took through the region, you know. So the white suit is my main high. It just felt very, I, I, I think it's very clean. It's very like what she was doing with the pink suit last week. Also kind of Oh, not that pink su- suit. I oh. just, I loved it. Chef's kiss. So beautiful. It feels very Megan and Valentino and Invictus. So it was great. I just. I'm loving all the power suits, to be honest. We're just seeing so many amazing suits. suits. Yeah, we we should wear suits. We definitely need to just wear them casually at home (laughs) while we work from home. I want to wear a suit to one of these weddings we have because I would love to be in a suit at a wedding and just be able to wear pants. Anyways. We'll we'll discuss. We need to get on that. Um, Speaking of sartorial greatness, my high was Megan's polo look. I feel like I need to pin that photo to my wall and just be like, this is your summer vibe because it was a Canadian tuxedo technically, the (laughs) denim on denim. I didn't even think about that with Canada. nailed it. Oh my gosh. And those Shopto and shorts, like I just, I loved the California girl style. I loved the sunglasses. I loved the sandals. Just all together, this was absolutely my high. Did you happen to look up the shorts? Are they expensive? I think that they're in the $100 to $200 range, but they're very much sold out. Oh, 
Yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't even wear shorts. And I was like, I need to get those shorts. And it was that quick to buy, race to check, and it was gone. You know what I think, though, is also just Megan looks great in shorts because she has such skinny little legs, like her mm-hmm. s- her stems, as people call them. Like she just she pulls off that look so effortlessly. Isn't it just the same as another polo outfit, too? Like it looks like she did. She's been wearing this shorts like it was white and white before. And then mm-hmm. there was also a denim on denim. It is just so California so perfect. cool, man. <laughs> That's what you're going to be wearing. In, I'm in gosh, I can T only one dream week. to replicate her style out in California. I'll try. I can't wait to see pictures of you on a polo field in that outfit. Okay, just a reminder before we close, leave us a royal rating of five stars. Pretty, pretty, please. It's easy. You just go to the Apple Podcast app. You tap the five stars across. This is a review from Jen. She says, love it. Refreshing and entertaining. Thank you so much. Thank you. Reminder to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcasts. Tell us what you think. We want to hear about your thoughts. Info at gallerypodcast.com. And till next week, God, God save, save the, pod. the pod. Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God save the pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. And join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. Royally Obsessed is a Gallery Podcast production.